We bless you. I think I've seen some of you before, um, some of you at Fresh Dreams. Two years ago nearly, I stood here. Can you believe that, ladies? Two years? Nearly two years ago, I came here and uh, I was telling you a little of my story, a little of my adventure uh, that started with a time of mental and emotional and physical complete breakdown <laughs> and has ended in an adventure, or is, it's not ending, it's just beginning a whole new adventure, uh, which I'd like to tell you a little about. So there's quite a lot of personal story in this. Um, I, I get most of my sermons from Milton Jones. I don't know if you uh, know Milton. This is the 10 second sermons. And um, he says, look, if I'm honest, when I talk to people about God, 14% is from personal experience, 23% is other people's experience, and 84% is hopeless exaggeration. It may even be more. <laughs> so that'll uh, see how we go with that one. Um, so I'd like to just ask you a question, if we could have that first slide up. What do you think well-being is? I'm running a charity called Renew Wellbeing. Uh, so we are going to just see a slide in a moment, and it'll say well-being on it. Just have a little think for a moment about what you think well-being actually is and what it means. If somebody was to ask you to just define it quickly, some non-English speaker would to go, what do you mean well-being? What would you say? So just tell somebody near you, actually, what do you think well-being is? And then I'll just listen to it and then that's my sermon done. No, go on, have a little chat. Brian will know the answer. <coughs> If I could just have the next slide up, here's the, um, this is the Office of National Statistics. Wellbeing, put simply, is about how we are doing as individuals, communities, and as a nation, and how sustainable this is for the future. Continue discussion, agree, disagree, is that good? Is that what you just said? How are we doing? Is that a good one? I am literally going to get you to do this sermon for me, so keep going. <coughs> Well-being. I'm fascinated by what we think well-being is. I don't think there's a good definition out there. So if you come up with one today, it could be on the slide next. So you'll notice at the top, there's something I've just popped in there. Uh, for those who can't see it, it just says I'm depressed, sad, hurt, confused, lonely, unloved, judged, misunderstood, insignificant, broken, dying inside, all crossed out, fine. Who's already said that since they've been through the door this morning? Next one is uh, what the Journal of Wellbeing has as a, what they call a dynamic model of well-being. So this is, there's always movement in it. So on one side of this seesaw of well-being is your resources, and on the other side are your challenges. Psychological, physical, emotional, you may add spiritual. And in the middle, when those two things are balanced, is well-being. Do you like that? Yes. Christians often do. I'm just about to blow your little bubble because I hate it, right? So I saw that after I'd been... My dad was in hospital having a cancer, having cancer surgery. My dad has actually made a rubber. He's had everything done to him, and he's still going, you know, 80 and still preaching the gospel, and he's great, my dad. Anyway, my mum and I, because we were a bit worried and we didn't know what to do with ourselves, a couple of years ago, we are in Liverpool. We went to find the swings, like you do. You know, 50-something-year-old, 70-something-year-old, we found a seesaw. So we got on this seesaw, and in my head, I am never fatter than my mother, right? That's just a thing. 
It's just Laura life, except when we sat on the seesaw and my mum went flying up in the air and I was so shocked, I just got off. And of course, mum fell off and twisted her ankle and there was blood. And so we had to hobble back to Liverpool Hospital, laughing hysterically, and go into the hospital and say, I'm really sorry, my mother's had an accident on a seesaw. And um, anyway... It made me think about the seesaw because most of the time we think that we know how it's going to balance. We'll know where well-being will be. Look, we're God's people, right? So on the resources side of our lives, there is the whole host of heavenly armies. We have all the goodness of God on our side. So how could any challenge ever be heavier than that? So my story (laughs) surprised me when it happened. I've been a Christian nearly all my life from when I was a little girl. And so finding myself a full-time teacher, mom, wife, working in the church, doing lots of preaching, loving it, loving life. Cup, really, not half full. I'm like flipping up here, you know, extrovert on this end of the scale. And then I woke up one morning and it had just, the seesaw had tipped. And I can't even tell you what had happened. Nothing really. I got lots of laryngitis, bouts of voice loss, and I hid behind that. And I just couldn't go to work. 20 years of being a teacher, never had a day off. And then I, couldn't, I just couldn't get out of bed. And I blamed the physical thing, and I, was, I felt lucky I had that to go to the doctor with, because I would not have gone to the doctor with what was really wrong with me, because I was a Christian. And what was really wrong with me was, everyone at church is like tapping me and praying for me and patting me because they wanted me better. I didn't even want to go to church. I was a leader. I didn't want to get there before I got there after it had started and I got away before the end. Because what people didn't understand was, I was no way God was going to heal me because I was not ready to go back to my life. He's too kind for that. So everybody's need for physical healing was not seeing what God was seeing, which was, I I can't actually do my life anymore. And there was this moment when I was lying in my bed, this is about 10 years ago, and um, I just felt such a failure. Just such a failure. My parents had to come over and look after the kids. My husband was running around doing everything. The kids, weirdly, don't even really remember it. I was thinking, like, I'm ruining their lives forever. They'll all be in therapy. They're all grown up now. And they went, oh, yeah, we... Is that when you couldn't speak? I was like, yes, the year, a whole year when I didn't get out of bed and you didn't see me. They're quite independent, my kids, and I think maybe that was part of it. But, um, but there I was in my bed, and I was watching reruns of Dallas. No, no, that was when I realised I really wasn't very well. <laughs> if you saw it the first time, some of you are far too young, you're going, what? It was not good the first time, and, and the rerun. And I'm watching it, and there's tears running down my cheeks, and I'm thinking, I can't, I can't, I can't work out. I, I can't even find God. It's like I hadn't... I didn't not believe in him anymore. I just couldn't work out that the things that used to bring me life, I didn't want to do. And there was this battle that went on in me that was, oh gosh, that's what that person was trying to tell me about when I was going, come on, let's just pray for you and the Lord is your strength and the joy of the Lord, all that that I'd done for years. My mum used to say, oh, I can't bear a depressed Christian. At least they've still got both the legs. And I used to go, what if they didn't have the legs, mum? You know, so you do this thing, we have this. Brought up brethren, you know, come on, get your act together. I, um, I, don't, I just didn't know what to do with myself. And there was this beautiful moment where I felt like God got in my bed next to me. I'm sorry if this offends you because it's quite intimate. Put his arms around me and he said, Ruth, I, Ruth, 
some of it, my name. My name, I've never particularly liked my name. I think it sounds like some great aunt with a beard. And, um, <laughs> or like, like that sex doctor, you know, it's that, it's that. I'm like going, oh, Ruth, Ruth, great auntie Ruth, that's not good. Anyway, he says my name and it sounded beautiful. And he said, I couldn't love you anymore and I'll never love you any less. And I wrote in my journal, I think I'd rather have this than get my voice back. And it was a turning point for me. Because I'd tried so hard to be a Christian. I was quite a good one. I did lots of stuff. But none of that was why God loved me. And I, I would not swap that experience for the world. But what happened during that time of my, my cup was just empty, completely empty. It gave space for God to fill it with what well-being was all about. I, didn't, I wasn't being well. But somehow in that moment in my bedroom, I understood what well-being was being named and being loved. And in that moment too, God did restore me to health and that's a longer story. And actually, um, one of the things that happened was I was kind of trying to gradually fill my little broken cup little bit by bit with habits that I had learnt from going to... I was determined there must be an answer to this. So I'd gone to like Faldi Brennan community and uh, Northumbria community. I found these habits, inner habits of contemplation and prayer that were just beautiful. And I thought, how did I not know about this? I thought it was all this. And I love all this, right? But when you don't feel good, and some of you are nodding away at me, this just feels like scratching your nails down a blackboard. And then I found this, I could sit quiet. And if I sat quiet with other people, the collective quiet was charged with the presence of God. And so these habits, I began filling my cup, but it was draining out as quick as it was going in. Because I'd met other people like me, and I couldn't not, if it was true for me, it must be true for them. God is always fair, right? So I was giving it away as quick as it was coming in. And, and I was running around. And by this time, weird thing had happened. I'd become a minister. Now, don't ask me that one. But my poor little church, bless them, I'd had to give up teaching because of my ill health. And they'd appointed me to be their minister. They are a bit bonkers. But what a lovely bunch. Because they decided if somebody was leading out of vulnerability, we would be able to reach people in a different way. And I had 10 years, beautiful years of leading these lovely people uh, that were my friends. So the draining out that was happening meant that we thought we were a church with a ministry to people with mental health. What we had was a minister who cared about people with mental health and was exhausting herself, running from one person to the other. Sharing the habits that I'd learned of the psalms and the inner habits that fill your cup. Every day, just sitting with a psalm. Every day, when I get my cup first thing in the morning, a cup of coffee, I just sit until it's empty I sit still. That's just a habit I've had for 10 years. It's a good habit. The world still spins, you know. And I remember that when I was in my bed, the world still was spinning on its axis. I don't want to forget that ever. And then I just get a psalm each week, and then from that psalm, one phrase, and that phrase becomes my resting thought rate. And so I drink it in in the morning, and I speak it out in the day. If you remember nothing else I've said, that's a, just a delightful habit, and the psalms are just beautiful, because you can not be okay with the psalms, and it's still prayer. Anyway, back to my little cup. What I began to realize was the habits are really good, so the habits of meditation, contemplation, we be church together, so to pray together in one place, simple prayer that anyone can access, so in the morning we'd use a psalm, at lunchtime the Lord's Prayer, end of the day prayer of examine, in what have we seen, the love and beauty of God, 
Thank you. Where has it not been beautiful? Sorry. Let it go. Those three simple habits began to define our lives. Those habits began to change our minds. Those habits began to fill our cups. However, those habits can become legalistic even in themselves if you're not careful. Do you get to the point where if you haven't done your habits, you start thinking, ooh. And then I began to see that it wasn't so much this that we were doing, but what we needed to do was more like this. So if this is the beautiful presence of the God who loves us, surely the practice of the presence of that God who loves us every day of our lives, that's what well-being looks like. So if we just have the next slide. I came up with this little word, dwell-being, which I quite like. If we dwell in him and he dwells in us, then all the brokenness we've got, it's going to still be there, right? There's going to be moments of ill health and there's going to be moments of doubt and fear and, and somehow it's going to be okay if we are immersed in a bigger story. And the crisis of well-being that's hitting our nation, and it is a crisis, I think it's a tsunami, if we don't have something to say about it as God's church, some people, there are people who will. Did you know there are 10,000 titles on Amazon that have well-being in the title at the moment? Self-help books. I, I had one here. It's uh, happiness by design. Design your own happiness. How, how is that possible? How is that possible for some of you who are sitting here knowing that tomorrow, deep breath, it's still there? How is that possible for my friend Julie, who has to get up every morning knowing that she had to cut her own son down out of the shower, having taken his own life, and they can't ever make that right again? What does well-being look like for her? Because if it doesn't look like what it looks like for me, then God is not fair. And so these habits of well-being, this, this journey of well-being, this gospel of well-being must be better than being well. It must be other than getting stuff fixed by magic God. And I do believe in healing. Please don't hear me wrong. But I go to too many things where it's all about physical healing and there's nothing about what then happens. We'll still die, right? <laughs> there's something about people who've got everything and a new sofa and they've lost the whole point of what well-being is all about. Ruby Wax, um, you may know, is a comedian, uh, and she's suffered with her mental health, and she's written some very interesting stuff. She's opened some frazzled cafes, and she's written a book called How to Be Human. I was troubled by it. I'm troubled by it because lots of my friends are reading it, and it's becoming their Bible. So I'm reading it to find out what they're reading. And it's good. It's well written. talks about her own journey. It's honest. I like it. Don't hear me wrong. But she has one line in it about Jesus, that's all. She does a, a chapter about evolution, and then there's this one line that said, so we thought we were doing okay, and then Jesus comes along, this is her history of the world, Jesus comes along and tells us that we're not, and if we, we have to do things his way, or we won't be okay. The end. That, that's her gospel. That's how she has understood the gospel from us, because that's how people understand the gospel, right, from God's church. Somehow, what we think we're getting through to people about what well-being looks like, it's just not getting through there. People aren't thinking to come and look here for well-being, but they are looking for well-being. So I've kind of got this bit of a thing going on about well-being because I think it's really important. What happened in our little story? Um, well, let me just read you some Bible first in case you thought I was never going to. Acts 17. Acts 17, and this is why I think we need to engage with this word. Paul is wandering around Athens, he's got a bit of time to kill, and he's at the Areopagus where everybody's discussing stuff, and uh, he gets to verse um, 23, 
chapter 17, he says this. I found the altar to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, I will proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he, gives, he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God, listen to this, and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him, yet he is not actually far from any one of us. Isn't that beautiful? And then it says, in him we live and move and have our being. Do you know that that's not even a bible phrase? You'll know some of you scholars. He pinched that from a Greek poem about Zeus. In him we live and move and have our being. He was being culturally relevant with the gospel that's always true. So he took a phrase that people would know, and then he went, not, not Zeus, yeah, Jesus. And they're all with him because he's speaking their language. I feel we need to become bilingual with this whole area of mental health, well-being. People are talking about it. They're not going to make the leap sometimes to an alpha. They're not going to make the leap sometimes to us talking about our faith. But they are talking about their inner turmoil. And we need to engage with it and name what it is that people are actually looking for, because they are looking for it. In him, we live and move and have our being. That's kind of my definition of well-being, dwell-being, we dwell in him, he dwells in us. In him, we live and move and have our being. But it's got to be in him. And so, just taking you back to this jug, if that was full of acid, <laughs> I probably wouldn't have stuck my hand in there quite so quickly. I'm hoping it, Debs, it's not, right? No, good. And some people are not going to live and move and have their being in a God they don't trust or like. And so when people say to me, I don't believe in God, I will say to them, what God don't you believe in? And when they tell me, I go, oh, I don't believe in him either. <laughs> And some of the way in which people have been brought up has made them think that God is not good. Some of the way that we behave <laughs> makes people think that God is not kind. I met a lady a few years ago, and it was one of the things that set me on this course. And all I was doing was taking what I knew, what I'd learned with these meditations around groups. And I went to a ladies' group, and they'd invited along a friend because her daughter was dying of cancer. And they thought, I could do something about it. Oh, okay. It's great as ministers, isn't it, when they go, let's get Phil in. He'll know what to say. No, we don't, really. And I sat in this room with this very, very angry lady, Welsh lady. And she said, I've lost one daughter to suicide and I'm losing another to cancer. Where's your God now? I went, well, let's just all be quiet. <laughs> but I'm like, oh, Lord, nothing, nothing. If that was my kids, I've got nothing. So I did what I know how to do. Somebody said to me who was a, a lifeguard, if I went to somebody who was drowning without something that floats, they'd pull me under. My psalms, my meditations, it's something that floats. So I said, let's just meditate on what we're up to, and we're up to, he is my stronghold. So I shut my eyes, and I prayed like crazy, and we all sat there for five minutes. He is my stronghold. He is my stronghold. Open my eyes, there's tears running down her face. She runs across the room to me. She puts her arms around me and said, he's my stronghold, Ruth. What happened? I didn't take her through the steps to life. I didn't have any answers for her pain. She met with the living God in it, and I got out of the way. There's something about our need, church, to engage with people where they are at with this beautiful gospel of well-being, without our gimmicks, and sometimes without our words, and, and with prayer. 
I have never met anyone who has not wanted prayer. I just haven't met them. I've been a Christian for 50 years. There's something about this language that people are speaking about well-being, which is for us to engage with. So going back to my story, Kirsty's mom was part of that, and she's never lost her faith, even through Kirsty's funeral and all the awful things that ensued. She's still got her stronghold, which is amazing. And that became a mystery to me that I wanted to find out what we could do about and so led the church to not have a church building. Poor little church, bless them. We don't have a building. Um, And we took on a cafe on the high street. So we found some people of peace, I would call them. There was a a, a tea shop on the high street, 23 cafes in our town. We didn't need another Christian one. We didn't need to make cappuccinos for Jesus. There's plenty of places where people are serving coffee. We needed to go and be alongside where people were comfortable. Not get them in our church, but go and be where people are. And so we worked with the ladies at Tiffin, who were not Christians, but they were worried about isolation. So I would sit and be their kind of unofficial chaplain and chat to people. Trouble is, if you've ever tried to chat to people in cafes, some people want to be left alone. I became a bit of a nuisance, really. And so the shop next door came up for let, and the church, we persuaded them to take it on. And we took a big rent out on a property on the high street just for the most vulnerable people in our community. I had just persuaded the church the year before to give away all the reserves because God had spoken to us as a leadership team about not sitting on something that other people might need. So we had literally given away £120,000 and then God said, now you can have this place. It's 14 grand a year rent (laughs) and most of the people who pay for it will never use it. Up for it? New Life Baptist Church was. Amazing, amazing journey. Three years ago, we took on this little property and we made it look like the cafe next door and we knocked through between the two. They, did, they said we could, we didn't just do that. And then, and then in one side, it's just a cafe. If you've ever been in a cafe, even a Christian one, even when you're serving coffee, if you go in on your own, what do you feel like? Hmm. You can be more lonely when you come out, can't you? If there's a private conversation over here and you've got a touch of paranoia that day, oh, that could be about me. So in our side, you'll always be welcome. There's hosts on hand, they'll welcome you in. Not too much of the huggy stuff, just come on in. And and there's always activities going on, things you can join in with that are good for your well-being. The five ways to well-being, if you just have the next slide or two, I think I should have been rattling through these, another one. That's a nice cup, right? Have have another one, please. Uh, Here's the five ways to well-being. Connecting, getting active, taking notice, keeping learning and giving. This is what every mental health team uses. That's a good church, right? Well, I thought so. Except we do it in places where people can't get at it. And so we put all that on the outside and we do jigsaws and stuff you've done before. It's not rocket science. But the other thing we do is we have someone from the mental health team who loves it so much that she hangs out there and gives advice off the record to people who might need it. The mental health teams in your area are not coping. They also need blessing, need spaces to be places and people to hang out with because this is on the increase and people are not coping well and they don't have places that are safe to belong. So we have uh, places, if you just flick through the next few slides, uh, Renew Wellbeing, this is the first one, Renew 37, that was at 37 Abbey Road. Being present, so we say we will show up and we show up when we say. So in this one, the first one, is open four days a week, nine till three, every day, and it's staffed just by people who turn up and bring their hobbies and do what they would have done at home, but they do it together. They do it in a way that anyone can join in. If you just have the next one, being in partnership, lady on the, on the, 
that one there, I can't remember left and right, um, is from the mental health team, loves what we do. Atheist worked with us to put this thing together. And there are people of peace out there. There are people that God is working with and they don't even know it's God working with them. There are ways, we are now working on a, a way that all the doctor's surgeries link into the community cafes with link workers that the NHS have paid for. This is, this is now a new day. I was really interested in the thing about TLG. It's not the same as it was. Two years ago, three years ago, these conversations would not be happening. But they are now because the system's broken. And the church holds something in its hands that needs to get out into the community. And then the last bit of being a renewed space would be being prayerful. And it's the first bit. And nobody has a problem with it. No mental health professional. Nobody who comes to visit. Because we're not shoving our prayer out of the way where nobody knows we're doing it. We're bringing the very habits that bring us well-being. And we're saying, I, I've broken too, actually, but this is what I do. You're welcome to join us. Cafe area, any faith and none, no proselytizing. But this is where we pray. Please come and join us. And we'll pray in a way that won't put you off. And we won't pray with great long sentences and words. And we'll pray so that anyone can pray. And anyone does. The most beautiful place. I think I might have told some of you the story before. The, the, the lad I mentioned who took his own life, his brother is, is autistic. And I just, I taught them when I was a primary school teacher and I had nothing for this lad. I, he came just, I didn't even know how to be broken. Not people of faith. He sat in the prayer room and he came out and he said, Mrs. Rice, I didn't make him call me that, that's just what he did. Mrs. Rice, I like those psalms. He said, is it all right if I write one? And then he wrote this. When my friends are in need, you are mightier than their troubles. When I'm down in the dumps, you are mightier than my sorrows. When nothing goes as planned, you are mightier than the day. When I don't know what to say, you are mightier than words. Yet with your power, you cradle and nourish us. You help us all be mighty, Lord. 16-year-old boy who doesn't know Jesus. I'd, as far as I'm away, still not become a Christian. As far as we would class that. What is this that's happening? What this is that's happening is God calling his church out from where we hide and out into where people need us to be. It's the most beautiful thing, and it is so beautiful what's been happening. And yes, it's taking the church's time and money, but it feels like God is just pouring out his blessing on the most spoken, the most vulnerable, the people who nobody listens to. And if you just get alongside and realize we too are broken... There's something about the conversation that goes on that is very, very beautiful. Feels more authentically like church than anything I've been involved in in my life. And I gave up the job, the day job, in the summer just to go and tell churches, if you do this, I do believe God's already out there. We're on our 10th cafe now nationally as Renew Wellbeing, which we became. Renew 37 was because it was 37 Abbey Road. It was the number on the road. We looked at the psalm. Do not fret, do not fret, do not fret. So far, everyone that's set up, the number on the road has matched a really good psalm. It's a good game, but I think any moment now, it's about to come unstuck because we're going to get like 150. Just had an 88 open. Look that up when you get home. Pray for them. That is the most depressing psalm I've ever read. So... <laughs> Not just what are your habits, but who are your habits in? Not just what are you hearing out there, but how are you seeing God in the Zeus conversations? Where are you able to name him? What does well-being look like for you? If we could just have the next slide. Um, this is what our aim is as Renew Wellbeing. An end to isolation and better mental health for all. But actually, it's beyond that. It's for the beautiful bride. 
Jesus Church to be the beautiful bride in this conversation. Debs, just come and join me. So you'll know Debs Butler. Hooray for Debs. When I say we, Renew Wellbeing, Debs is part of our team now. You may or may not have known this. And um, Debs, just how on earth did you come to be part of the team? You went to college, right? What did you go to college for? What's that all about? Yeah, so currently I'm studying at Moreland's Bible College. I'm in my second year. And um, at the start of September, I had to do a talk lecture on um, where do I see the local church being an effective community. Um, So I went up to see Ruth for a day to research about Renew 37 and we had about 10 minutes um, before my train left and I was talking to her about my placement for next year and I wasn't sure about it and she said why don't you come up and have your placement here as a volunteer. (laughs) I'm pinching everyone from all (laughs) over the land yeah. So my placement is in um, Nottingham which is quite away from Draycott Um, And I go to Bible college seven separate weeks of the year. So it basically works out of one week a month. So tell me one word. What have you learned at college then? I I didn't actually go, so I'm just wondering. (laughs) (laughs) What did you learn at Bible college and why is it good? It is good because I've looked at it as stuff. Give me one word. I like this. Don't work with me, honestly. I'm impossible (laughs) to work with. You can do one word. Identity. Brilliant. Identity, mm-hmm. because what? Why is that? What is that about? I think f- for me, particularly um, as a woman, a lot of um, people's identity who I've worked with used to be a school chaplain um, is th- particularly women look at identity from the media, from magazines, from what people say, um, which is terrible for people's self esteem when you've mm. got all of the images that are airbrushed so for me it's about my identity being in christ brilliant but that is a journey and i know for you and darren one of the things that um about your own brokenness of your own journey is not being able to have children Mm. and when i met deb's my my sister can't have kids and that was one of the things for her the pain of being in a church with all the stuff around you know being a parent and then the grandparent and and you don't mean to do it but Actually, it can be terribly painful, and I know that's been a painful journey. Much as you are loved here, it's a painful journey for you. You bring that to the table, don't you? Tell us about that a little bit. Honestly, this I don't practice. Poor Debs, she likes organisation and things to be in a structure, and God's put her to work with me because I go, I'll tell you what I'll throw at you. She's not actually going to sit down, are you? No. (laughs) Anyone else want to join the team? (laughs) Tell us about It's been really, really tough. Um, it's a sermon in itself. It has been very, very difficult, particularly for me. I mean, afterwards, you know, Darren and I don't want a pity party. We'd ask you to pray for us. Mm. Um, but it, it has been very, very tough when my identity, thinking it would be a mum, because I love kids, is now not. Mm. So where does that leave me? Where does that leave me? You know, what, what is my identity now? Um, and, you know, I know for me, there's been many whys. Why, Lord? What now? What next? Um, and I think for me, I've taken my why into worship. And I can remember one day, and I can take you to the place in our house where I played this worship song over and over again. And it's really interesting. Alan played one of my favourite songs this morning. And I will fall at your feet. Because I have been brought to my knees many times just thinking what do I do with my brokenness we're all broken we all have different stories 
You know, and for me, I believe it will be a lifelong journey. This is not a healing where, oh, Debbie's broken her arm and in six weeks she'll be fine. And that's not through my lack of faith because I love Jesus more than anything. But for me, you know, it will be, we don't have first days at school. We won't be teaching them to drive. You know, we won't have weddings. We won't be grandparents. This will be lifelong pain. But Jesus has a better purpose for us. And I think so often the devil tries to rob us of our true identity. He's an identity thief, particularly for women, I believe. And I just want to read this quote. Shame says that because I am flawed, I am unacceptable. Grace says that though I am flawed, I am cherished. And for me, I have to keep going back to knowing that we are all accepted, that we are all secure, and that we are all significant mm-hmm. because of Jesus. I'm, I kind of made Debs come out with all this stuff at a conference recently, and she put this slide up, and it was talking about this. If you just put the next slide up for us, please. This is the last one. This is uh, whatever that says where the Japanese art of repairing broken things with gold. You'll know, you might know this. They're more beautiful for their brokenness. And Debs is an excellent communicator, but I whispered across to her recently, and I went, say the thing about chat. I've been not able to have kids. And she went, what? And it was this. Can I just say that, that Ruth said to me on a Thursday, I was at Bible College doing Old Testament, and she said, well, there'll only be 30 women there, and can you just talk on 20 minutes on the Psalms? So I thought, okay. She sent me the agenda through on the Friday morning, had to drive back from Bible College and then go to Worcester. She went, oh, it's changed a bit. You've got an hour, and there's going to be over 100 women. <laughs> so, okay. So I got there, and I thought, we'll have a bit of worship, and we played, and I will trust in you alone. There was 30 seconds to go. I'd had all this. I love notes. I like to be prepared. She came up to me, and she went, ditch, what? ditch that, ditch that. Give your testimony. <laughs> 15 seconds to go. I'm thinking, worship group, please play on. They stopped, and I stood there. And I did do it, and I feel for me as well, I think when people speak out of vulnerability, as they have in this church and other places, for me, that's where I've been really blessed because I think, you know, a life that is surrendered, which means vulnerability, is a life that is secure. That's brilliant. Thanks, Debs. I'll let you go and sit down. But I know Debs really loved the it's okay not to be okay motto that we have at Renew Wellbeing, and it's why God sent her to work with me. She brings a new aspect to why the church needs to work out how to talk about wellbeing, because we're not okay. And it's the one place, it's a gift to the church, we are leveled out here. We can't feed it, we can't clothe it, we have to say we're all so broken. And we have to come together and say, yes, I don't know. I don't know how to fix that with you, but together let's work out how to be human. Let's put a space at that. Let's learn out what that looks like. Um, I do believe that the nation is crying out for this. And the reason I believe it is because I'm hearing it. I'm hearing it in songs, and I'm hearing it in things I'm reading. I'm hearing it in things like this. I'm going to just show you our family album of the 10 places we're now working. And I've got 37 more churches that are lining up to go and do this. And we're going to have to think differently if you want to join in and pray for us and support us. But if we just uh, have this from the beginning, it's got sound with it. So This song is not a Christian song. Just listen to the words. I made it as far on my own. Lately that shit ain't been getting me high 
I lift up my head and the world is on fire There's dread in my heart and fear in my bones and I just don't know what to say Maybe I pray teach them to pray. I'll finish with this. You saw that little quote at the end that said, now someone knows my name, that was Sue. Nobody knew her name. Nobody had spoken her name from one end of the week to the other, apart from to call it out in a doctor's surgery. And she walked into Renew 37 and now she's found Jesus and she's got baptised and now everyone knows her name. But how can we have people in our communities, our nice middle class communities, who are labelled and not named? How? Can that be? As I was praying about what to bring to you just personally, which I do to each church, I have a a tricky word to bring you. I'm going to leave it with you. John 11. I don't think Jesus just knows our name. I think he's calling our name out. And this is where Lazarus has died. And he hasn't died through any fault of his own. And Jesus could have stopped it happening if he'd been there two days earlier, but Lazarus does die. And there's people who've lost their something. I don't know, maybe you're here and you've just, you're in a dark cave. (laughs) Lights have gone out. Maybe this is to the whole church in the nation, I don't know. But Jesus weeps for it, even though he's about to do something about it. Jesus stands and weeps at the grave of Lazarus and he's about to raise him from the dead. Why does he weep? He weeps for all that that means. Death was not his plan, neither is mental ill health, but it's a gift to us now because we can see resurrection come out of it. And then he just says very simply three words, loudly, Lazarus, come out. (laughs) I have a feeling he's shouting our name. He's not just saying it, he's shouting your name. 
And why is he shouting just your name? Well, I think in this case, if he hadn't said Lazarus, the whole of the dead people in the whole of the world would have come out because this is the voice of Jesus. He was being specific and he's being specific today to you. Chipping Camden Baptist Church, each of you, come out. I think maybe come out from the places where we hide, come out because this isn't going to overwhelm you to get involved in this. Come out with your habits of prayer. Come out onto the streets and into the places where you work. Come out from where we have hidden and privatised God. I don't know what else that word means, but I'm going to leave it with you to pray about. But he does know your name, and he does call your name. And just to finish, I wrote this yesterday, which I just feel might be for some people here. My name, inscribed on eternal palms. My days... Written, planned, and held in stronger arms. Our name, his church, sweet bride, chosen one. His name, our battle cry, our soul song. This name above all other names in whom our name belongs. For unnamed, unknown, unloved ones who spend a day, a week, a year not hearing they are loved. And often when their name is heard, the name that came with life breath, a created word, it's called out in clinical spaces attached to notes from officious faces. For those whose labels show before their name, who have not heard the whisper of the Father, Spirit, Son who came, the ones whom no one knows their name, he calls you bright. Come out from death-filled tomb and breathing in his life, breathe out and make some room a room, a space, where all are known by name and face and where his name is never far but near to all and where we hear his call, come out, come back, come near, come here. My child, my bride, beloved, blessed and named. My name, your name, our name, all held within the name above all other names and in this name we live and move and have our being well-being dwell being to dwell in him and him in me and there find each other free his offspring bound in love and grace where each is known and loved and finds their place lord god of well-being that does not look like being well Jesus, Saviour, Spirit, life, please call us out. Call us out individually by name. Call out your church. Call us out of hiding, Lord, and show us how much you love us. Call our name again that we're just here. We've got an audience of one and he loves us already. Lord, that we would know. Whether we can do anything or do nothing, you love us and you could never love us anymore and you'll never love us any less. And with that love, with that compassion, Lord, help us put that on the outside somehow. I pray that over this church. I thank you for every sign of life and wonderful welcome that is in this church already that I've seen flashing up on that screen and in the faces of people who are here. But more, Lord, more for this street, more for Chipping Camden, more for the villages around, more for the one that does not know that you call their name. Please, Lord, would you do something remarkable that brings life and health and grace and forgiveness and freedom to this church too. Thank you for what you're doing across this nation, but Lord, more, please more. 
Bring those who need to come alongside to say, please, church, rise up, it's time. To stand alongside the services that serve you in this nation and to see better mental health for all and an end to isolation, please, Lord. In your mercy, hear our cry. Amen. If you're interested in finding out more or supporting us in prayer, we get our newsletter monthly. Debs can give you any info in this card with my number on there. Thank you. Okay, we're going to um, worship, uh, sing a song that we've uh, planned for our time at the end. Thanks, Ruth, for sharing with us. Bless you.